So this is God's Word from Revelation chapter 6, and I'm reading from the ESB version, which I think people have got. Oh, it's right behind me. (laughs) Clever. Okay, this is God's Word. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and a three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of the wrath, their wrath has come and who can stand? We thank God for his word. Uh, Well, good morning everybody. Um, uh, We're sad that we can't be with you today. Um, to be here in person. Um, Mim and I are visiting one of our partner churches in Oxford and I'll be preaching there. Uh, But it's great that by the wonders of modern technology um, I can be preaching for you this morning and as God has created all things, he's created technology, he can speak to us uh, through his word as I proclaim it uh, even over video. And we're very grateful for that, very grateful that uh, that was the case during Covid. Uh, A particular welcome if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, We're going through a particular book in the Bible called Revelation. It's a a book that was revealed to the Apostle John, one of the early eyewitnesses uh, to Jesus' life and teaching. And he saw a vision, a a revelation um, 
from the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven uh, by angels and he's written it down for us to read. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation and uh, we've got to chapter 6. But we can't understand God's word without uh, asking God to help us. So let's pray uh, that he would speak to us through his word, the Bible. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you reign in heavenly glory. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have shown us what you are like through this book of Revelation. You are the Lamb who has slain, the, the beautiful Creator God. Lord, please be our teacher this morning, we pray. Show us more of who you are and what you're like, that we might trust you and live for you. Amen. Well, do please have a, a Bible open. That would be a real help to me as we look particularly at chapter 6, but also go into chapter 7. What are we to make of all the disasters that happen in the world? I, I guess the disaster that we're most uh, conscious of at the moment is the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and the, the Kurdish people. We're also very conscious of the war in Ukraine, maybe the famine in Yemen, the gathering shortage of food in East Africa. Maybe we're very conscious of global warming. With such evil in the world, many people say, don't they, that this is evidence that God doesn't exist. Many say that if God were all-powerful and all-loving, there would not be such evil in the world. Some of you may have heard this as the inconsistent triad. If God is all-powerful and all-loving and there's evil, well then surely he can't exist. And of course, much of the suffering that goes on in the world, indeed the majority, many would say, is because of the sinfulness of human beings. Whether it's the greed of Putin or the corruption that meant the buildings in Turkey were not designed to resist earthquakes. But we cannot avoid the real question that people pose. Why does a good, all-powerful, loving God allow such terrible suffering in the world? Now the short answer is, and I know that this short answer is insufficient in many ways, but it's the answer that we will find in the passage that we had read. The, the, the short answer is that God is not just love. He is just love. He, he's not just love. He's not only love. He is also justice. And his justice is expressed against all evil, all rebellion against him, who is the source of all goodness, the source of all love, the source of all rightness, righteousness. And disasters, when they happen, do not tell us that the people caught up in them are more guilty than others, as if God is particularly displeased with those who die in disasters. Rather, they point to things not being right between God and people like you and me. So when Jesus was asked about a disaster in Jerusalem when the Tower of Siloam had, had fallen on a group of people and killed 18 of them, his response was this. Do you think that they were any worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no. 
But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus was saying, unless you turn back to God, you will perish like those people who perished in that disaster. We read Jesus' words in Luke chapter 13, verse 5. You see, in Jesus' teaching, all disasters point to the disaster to which this world is hurtling. The day of judgment. The day when God raises all people before him and judges everybody through Jesus Christ, whom he's raised from the dead. And, and the question as we come to our passage this morning is, are you ready? Uh, am I ready? Well, the first thing we learn from largely chapter 6 is that the Lamb opens seals that point to his wrath. So be ready. So be ready. Two points that are important before we go into chapter 6 and 7. The first is, is what seals were in the ancient world. Not uh, the, the, the animal that sort of flaps its flippers around and all that kind of seal. Yes, I know my humour is awful. Uh, uh, forgive me. Uh, no, seals were the signs of authority and ownership in the ancient world. Uh, a seal, it might have been a signet ring, it might have been a, a carved precious stone uh, with, with symbols and writing on it. A seal would have been pressed into hot wax on the document that showed the authority of the person who commanded what was contained in the document. So kings or governors, their seal meant this comes with my authority, you better do this or I'll send the army, or I'll send my henchmen round. So that was one meaning of seal. Uh, the other meaning of seal is ownership. S same kind of seal might have been used, but it would have been pressed into wet clay, and then the clay would have been dried or uh, fired in a kiln to make a label uh, that would have been attached to something which showed who owned that thing. A bit like we might, you know, sew name tags in, in the backs of, of, of our kids' clothing as they go to school so that when they get lost, people know whose they are, who, who they, those bits of clothing belong to. Seal was that ancient world way of doing that. So we need to be clear, about, there's two, two kinds of seals going on here in chapters 6 and 7. Uh, secondly, just by way of introduction, what the Bible is clear on is that when evil things happen, God does not do it. God is not evil. There is no evil in God. God is infinitely pure and perfect and good. He, he can't even think or be tempted by what is evil. But he is in control of it. There are evil beings, supernatural evil powers in the world that God is in control of. And as we'll see, Jesus Christ is in control of. Evil doesn't have its origin in God, but God has permitted evil beings to exist, Satan and his demons. And we come across these evil creatures, evil angels or demons in chapter 6, and this is what Jesus shows the Apostle John. Have a look with me at chapter 6, verse 1, and do have a Bible open because I'll be uh, referring into chapter 7 as well. Now I watched when the Lamb, that's a symbolic picture of Jesus, the Lamb, the, the one who died on the cross. The Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures with a voice like thunder. Come, 
And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. He came out conquering to conquer. You see, the Lamb, as we saw in chapter 5, if you were with us last week, is the only one worthy to be in charge of history. Because he died on the cross, because he was slain, he's the only one who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals and to unfurl history. And what do we see as history is unfurled? Well, the first thing we see is a white horse coming forth to conquer. And this is a picture of the demonic. It's not a picture of nice Shetland ponies. This is a horrible horse symbolising demonic power that comes to conquer. So whether it's the conquering of Egypt or Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome or Spain or Mongol or Austro-Hungarian or French or British or Nazi or Russian, the Lamb is in control of all those who seek to conquer and build empires. That's not to say there's not other reasons why people may be hell-bent on conquest. It might have been the crippling reparations of Germany post the First World War. It might be the rhetoric of Hitler. But what we're shown here is that the root cause of all conquest in the history of the world is demonic activity that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, permits. He's in control of it. But why? Why, why is... Why is Jesus permitting this? Why is he in control of this? Well, the second horse that we see, and there's the second seal that's opened in the same way, in verse 3, he rides out for war. And not just wars, but every war that has ever happened. Not, not, not just wars that are inspired by conquest or defence from the conqueror, but wars that are inspired by greed or racial differences. Iraq. Rwanda, Congo, Jesus permits these wars, but why? Then the third seal opened in the same way and outrides famine. A black horse, a pair of scales, and verse 6, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. We know these riders as the four riders, the four horses of the apocalypse, don't we? And so out comes the fourth seal. Outrides death, bringing death through sword or famine or pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And it's not to say that there's not natural causes. It's not to say that... That terrible uh, situation of that poor, te poor teenage girl who was killed in a shark attack in Australia a couple of, 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 of weeks ago wasn't because the shark had, had gone much further up into freshwater than was normal. It's not to say that when campers are eaten by polar bears that it's not because of global warming and the polar bears coming out off the ice to, to find food. What it is saying is that the root cause, the ultimate cause, is the demonic activity that the Lamb of God, Jesus, permits. But why? Why is all this disaster and suffering and death permitted in the world by a loving and good God? Well, the fifth seal gives us a hint. 
When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are Christians who've been martyred, killed. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You see, those who are crying out in heaven un under the altar, the symbol of waiting for something. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for a day of vengeance when God will bring justice on those who have killed them because they've done what is right they have stood up for Jesus Christ they have been public and bold about their testimony for Jesus and yet they have been killed as Christians and John sees that Jesus tells them to wait a little longer until the full number of all those who will be killed in this way has been completed there's a number Jesus is in control of even those who are beheaded or crucified or beaten to death because they are Christians. And from our perspective, it may look like in the world that this is chaos and evil triumphing when Paul was killed in Rome by beheading or, or Peter was the apostle was crucified or Christians were used as human torches by Nero in AD 64, but in reality, Jesus is in control of it all. He has a fixed number of those who will be killed in this way, whether it's by Fulani herdsmen in northern Nigeria or the beheading of ISIS. Jesus is sovereign Lord, as we were thinking about last week. But why is Jesus permitting all this, all these disasters, even the disaster, personally, of Christians being killed? And the answer comes next. In the sixth seal, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. See, there's coming a day when Jesus will return, when this whole universe will be rolled up like a scroll. Why will the universe end? Will it end because all the physical laws of entropy, of the universe sort of winding down means that it just comes to an end in a bit of a damp squib. No, Jesus will come in blazing glory. He was clear about that in all his teaching. He was coming as judge at the end of time. And the reason why there are disasters in the world, the reason why he permits all this evil is to help us understand that there is a great disaster coming. A great day of vengeance coming when, verse 17, people will say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, that's God, 
and from the wrath, the just and holy anger of the Lamb, that's Jesus, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Jesus regularly talked about this. He said, when you see famines and earthquakes and, and wars, they're just the birth pains of the main event. They're just mini disasters of the great disaster that will face, verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free. Everyone will want to be hidden from the wrath, the just anger of Jesus Christ. See, this is the wrath of Jesus Christ. He spoke of his right to judge all people, living and dead, throughout his ministry. People don't like that about Jesus. They would prefer he's just loving. But he's not just loving. He's just love. You see, the justice of God, which is perfect and infinite, the holiness of God is expressed against all evil, even the slightest spot of moral dirt. The tiniest atom of evil draws forth from God a good, settled, calm, white, hot vengeance that refuses to let it into his perfect world of heaven. You see, all the seals of chapter 6, all the disasters in our world, are, are not out of control of a God of love. No, Jesus is in control of all of them. All the disasters in the world point to the day when he will return in great glory and great fury against all that is evil. So the question is, after we've read chapter six, how can we be safe? How can we be safe from Jesus Christ as he returns? How can we be those who are not calling on anything close to us to bury us alive so that we won't face his just punishment? How can we be safe? And wonderfully, the Christian message is all about, Jesus' preaching was all about how we can be loved and safe on that day, loved by God, safe from his judgment. And so that's our second point and shorter point. Be safe from God's wrath, God's way. How? Be sealed by the Lamb who was slain. Be sealed by the Lamb who was slain. And this is a, a different kind of seal. It's not the, the seal that was broken to unfurl scrolls in the ancient world. Uh, the, the, the seal which carried the authority of the king or the governor to effect things. No, this is the seal of ownership that is being talked about. It's a different kind of seal. And we come across this in chapter 7, verse 1. After this, four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. This is symbolic of the final judgment. Then I saw another angel descending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. This is God's seal. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. 
uh, we do it with uh, name tags for our, for our children's clothes. We, we, we write our names on things that are precious to us with permanent ink or even you know, UV, discoverable ink. Or What does God do with his precious possessions, his children? He puts his seal, his signet ring, the seal, on our foreheads. That, that, that's a symbol. It's a symbol of the fact that God says to all those who trust in Jesus, you're mine. You belong to me. I'll keep you safe from my own just wrath. What uh, Ephesians, uh, another book in the Bible says, in him, that's in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, when we hear the good news of the Christian message, that though we're sinful rebels against God, that God sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross, to take the punishment for our sins, to take the wrath that we deserve for all the things that we do wrong, even the smallest, tiniest atom. And he takes the punishment of what we're like so that we can be forgiven and made into his children. We are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're given God himself to come and dwell inside us. And the picture that this passage gives us is of God placing his sign of ownership on our forehead saying you're mine you belong to me I have purchased you I've bought you with the blood of my son Jesus Christ the lamb who was slain which we came across in chapter 5 so the question is have we believed in Jesus Christ if not, then can I urge you to do the things that help that to happen? You could pray today and trust in Jesus Christ and be given that seal of ownership by God, the promised Holy Spirit. How do you say? Well, you need to turn away from living a life for yourself and put your trust in God's way of keeping you safe on that day when Jesus returns. And you say, well, I've just got so many questions. That's, that's fine. We, we, we want to help and support people who've got lots of questions. Uh, come to question with a pint, which is happening in a few weeks' time. Uh, come back to church. You're always welcome to, to hear more about the good news of Jesus. Uh, we run a course called Christianity Explored, which is starting in the summer. Come on that with others. Ask your questions. We read through a gospel. I'm very happy to, to meet in person, one-to-one, -one, or on Zoom with, with anybody one-to-one -one and, and to read through a gospel together. I'm sure many people here in the church would love to help you. Because, you see, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that when we trust in him, we are safe for the day that he returns. We are sealed by God himself. And the number of people is going to be perfect. That's the point of all these numbers. If you look down, you'll see that there's 12,000 from the tribe of Judah and 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben and so on. 12 tribes of Israel, 12, perfect number. 1,000, the number of numbers, big numbers. Remember back to myriads and myriads of angels and thousands and thousands of angels. So 12,000 times 12,000 or 144,000 needs the perfect number of a lot of people will be saved.
will be sealed. But it's not a literal number. This is the mistake that some people make, thinking that there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven because we read in verse 9 of chapter 7 that there's a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, rescue belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God has saved us. God has rescued us. And there's pictures given of this wonderful saving power of God. They're clothed in white because they're clean before God. Not because they haven't sinned, but because they've been washed and cleansed from all their sin, all their wrong thoughts and actions and words and all the good things that people haven't done. They've been cleansed. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By Jesus dying in their place as a sacrifice. See, the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin all who trust in him so that before God, he sees us as his own beloved son, pure, innocent, perfect, like white robes. Now, just as I draw things to a close, there's, there's stories of heroism in earthquakes, aren't there? One example from a few years ago is the discovery of a child who survived in, in a crushed and crumpled room. Why was that child kept safe? Well, because their father had wrapped their body around them so that as the building collapsed, he was crushed. So his child was not. And if that helps, that is the picture of the God of love of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God whose Father, Son and Spirit puts himself round us so that he is crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was due to us fell on him so that we can be his child. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. We would be seen by God as if we are pure and perfect in his sight, loved eternally by him, destined for heavenly glory. Not because we're good, but because of God's way of rescue. So just as I close, do we believe in Jesus yet? And if the answer is no, we, we must. In order to be safe on that day when Jesus returns, and that means we begin a, a life of being a servant of Jesus, not, not to be safe, but because we are already saved and safe by him. We, we serve him because he has died for us, because he loves us. And if we are a Christian here this morning, isn't this a wonderful reminder that because we believed in Jesus Christ, we are safe in him. We will be safe on that day. He has sealed us. We belong to him. We are his treasured possession. And so what is true of those in heavenly glory is now true of us. Let's just read as I close. What John sees is true of all those who are sealed by the Lamb, washed by the blood of the Lamb, clean in God's sight. Therefore, verse 15, 
They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. They are safe in God's presence, protected in God's presence. Why? For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, let's be those who trust in the Lamb who was slain and is worthy to control all of history, and the Lamb who was slain so that we might belong to God, safe, in his presence. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that the one in control of history is the good and loving Lord Jesus Christ. And yet thank you that he is also just. And in what he permits in this world points us to that great day of disaster which we all need to grapple with. Lord, please help us to be those that trust in Jesus and so are safe in him on that day. Amen.